welcome to FICP's podcast series, FICP Focus 45. FICP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FICP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FICP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to FICP's webinar and podcast series, FICP Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Our guest today is Mike Kasdan. Mike is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and received his JD from NYU School of Law, where he now teaches as an adjunct professor. He has worked in law firms, large, mid-sized, and small, practicing IP litigation for over 20 years. Mike is presently a partner in the IP group at Wigan and Dana in their New York City office and has served on their diversity and pro bono committees. But what is interesting and what draws us today is that for the last 10 years, Mike has also been in the leadership at the Good Men Project, where he has served numerous roles on both the editorial and business side, including editing and running its mental health section, and now serves as director of special projects and senior sports editor. He's written articles, appeared on television, radio and podcasts, developed video and social media campaigns, there are two hashtags that you need to keep in mind, not weak, just humans, and we rage for love, and created and led training and workshop groups focused on mental health for over a decade. Most recently, Mike has married his interests in mental health advocacy in the legal industry under the umbrella Lawyering While Human, which he founded in 2022. In this regard, he also serves on the Communications Committee of the Institute for Wellbeing in Law, and his own personal experience with depression while working as a practicing lawyer has given him some unique insights. And he's happy to have this opportunity to share this perspective with us and what he has learned with others in the field. Good morning, Mike, and welcome to our series of podcasts. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. When we started looking at this this topic and we, we spoke originally, it seemed to me that you know, the logo or the slogan that you have, which is lawyering while human, includes some contradictions in and of itself. And I'm, I'm curious, how did how did that come about? Yeah, I guess I like uh, li little bits of contradictions and slogans and title. The, the name I use for my fantasy football team is always Zen Mayhem. Um, so I think you have to sometimes bring bring things uh, from, from, from different spaces. But the way that the lawyering while human name came about, I actually had the opportunity to give a presentation kind of the first time I ever keynoted um, an IP lawyers bar association event. Uh, it was kind of last minute. I filled in for someone else. Um, and uh, the person who organized it kind of said, instead of talking about IP issues, which I talk about all the time, I'd love you to talk more about the types of things that I talk about and write about when I'm at the Good Men Project. Um, and um, I was 40 years old at the time. So yeah, it was, it was eight, nine years ago. 
And I just kind of gave, gave a presentation that was like observations of a middle-aged, you know, lawyer kind of, you know, having done doing this for a little bit, little while um, and focusing on, you know, I, I think just, just sort of life stuff, things that, that I felt I looked around and, you know, for example, I used to never want to talk about the Goodman Project or social justice or mental health at work. I kept those worlds very separate, but over time kind of learned that, you know, merging them actually was good for me and good for, uh, you know, good for the work that I do. I learned a lot from doing it. And, and that's a kind of, you know, bringing our authentic selves to work. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I named, I don't recall exactly how I came up with it, but I named that presentation, Lawyering While Human, you know, observations of a middle-aged lawyer. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, when I was thinking about founding this this project, this initiative, uh, I, I stumbled across that presentation and thought like, oh, that could, that could work because I think a lot of the issues in and around mental health, you know, and then this this topic in the law and outside of it um, have a lot to do with kind of reconnecting with our humanity a little bit. Of course, we're all human. Uh, sometimes some of these things seem so simple, right? Like, you know, we're, we're out there selling our brains. So we should, of course, you know, invest and make sure we take care of our brains. But, you know, life, modern life is is very busy. Modern corporate business life and law firm life is very busy. And a lot of times I think we lose sight of that humanity. Um, so I think injecting some of that back in is, I think, really, really important. There is, yeah, there is a little bit of a dichotomy between what you're saying and what someone would think might be the normal course of business, which is, you know, we come to our to our jobs, for our firms, our responsibilities, and we are fundamentally human. But I think what you're saying is that there's there's a culture or there's a way of doing things that sort of meant that a lot of people checked out that humanity at the checked it in at the at the entrance closet when they crossed the the doors to the office and picked it up back in it at the end of the day. And somehow in between, we forgot about all that. Is that kind of the thing that drove you to this? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the point, and and I I come at it from a very you know very personal from through my own experience, and not everyone has you know deep personal experience with you know their own mental health issues, but um, I think probably ninety nine percent of people uh, have some experience with it through some relationship, and and I think also. I think about this topic of mental health and well-being, not just from a clinical perspective, but just from kind of a navigating life perspective. And I think we've all learned, you know, through the pandemic and before the pandemic and after the pandemic um, that, you know, we're all navigating life together. And so so I think that is true. I, I think there's there's something about business culture and law firm culture, and it's not true of all places, but, you know, but, but when, when, when folks think about law firms and think about sort of big law um, and this focus on, you know, the billable hour and kind of the stressors of of getting all this work done and the adversarialness of it. I think that what, what shakes out in the culture is that we do sometimes lose sight of that humanity. And I think, you know, and, and I think even topics like, you know, work-life balance, I think just, just, just that phrase, I think, assumes that there are two separate things, you know, work and life rather than kind of an integratedness of the two things that we bring every day. Um, and so, you know, the lawyering while human thing, like I said, I come to come at it from a very personal place, but um, I think what, what what I've really learned over the past couple of years as I've thought about this and talked to a lot of lawyers and law students is that this makes sense as a, as a business matter too. 
and that, you know, there's a strong business case uh, for making sure that that we're taking care of each other and that we're taking care of our brains. Um, and you can look at it all sorts of different ways. But I think no matter how you come at it, whether it's, you know, from a sort of it's good and we should be good to each other, you know, a more moral place or just from a business place. I think, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot in modern times about sustainable businesses and building sustainable businesses. And I think this is part of that. I think you alluded to some some of it earlier, but what is it about law firms or maybe more generally professional services firms that sort of attract a more focused attention on these kinds of issues? Is it is there something inherent in the business model that that needs to be rethinked? Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are different. I don't have all the answers on that. I mean, I, I I've definitely read a lot about it and thought a lot about it and spoke to people about it. And you know, there there are different different theories about it. About you know, is, is there something embedded in the culture? You know, why is it that when you look across fields of practice, um, that law in particular um, has kind of always been um, in the top five or top three of of fields that that struggle with mental health. I think there are a couple things, and I think as you mentioned, you know, it's somewhat also chicken and egg too. Um, you know, there are certain personality types. So, so, so sometimes uh, people think about character types or personality types, but 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 I like to think of it as sort of culture. And I think a couple of the things that 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 stand out to me are kind of the um, the sort of adversarialness. You know, that that's kind of you know the the, the um, the always on kind of culture, the client service, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember being a, a young lawyer, I'll date myself, you know, having that Blackberry and seeing that light, that light go off, right. And being, you know, immediately responsive. And we see memes out there. Um, I joined Instagram basically to follow my teenage kids. But if you look at, you know, there's, there's some very great, uh, uh, lawyer accounts, you know, that have a lot of truth in there, but, you know, about always being on and, 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 you know, scrambling to always be busy, kind of wearing busyness as a badge yeah. uh, of honor. And I think, you know, some of that is built around the billable hour. So, I mean, those types of, of, of issues kind of stand out as to why, I mean, I think the, the other, the other big one that I see, and I think this, this comes from some studies in positive psychology that I thought really uh, interesting um, that, you know, across all jobs, there, there was a study done uh, as to who's, who's more successful, optimists or pessimists. And, and law was the only one that pessimists are more successful. And you think about issue spotting and worrying and, and finding the holes and that, that sort of personality type. But I think some of it is also the fact that you are someone else's agent um, and sort of, you know, you mentioned service agency and, um, you know, sometimes the lack of agency or the lack of control. I think when you feel like you're a young associate, you don't have a lot of control over what you do and what you're working on. Um, so I think, you know, th those are kind of a number of issues that, that come to mind. So there's an, a number of initiatives and you're certainly quite active in this in trying to promote awareness of the issues and I guess adaptation of some of the workplace environment to be able to address some of these issues. Um, and we'll get to, to that in just a second, but can you really be effective if you focus on that and you're not, on the other hand, also focusing on the, the underlying business model? I mean, if we're still fundamentally as a service firm, as service firms married for eternity to this billable hour concept, can we really reconcile both? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I've been around law enough to know that 
the billable hour doesn't seem like it's going anywhere uh, anytime soon. And I, I've also been around, and, and I think it's also, I think not true that other models aren't without their stressors. You know, I think about times that I've taken things on contingency, right? And that, that brings a whole different type of stress. It's not the always on kind of, you know, doling it, you know, if, if I'm not working, if I'm not billing, but different types of stresses. So, so I think, I think there's, there's, there is going to be some level of stress. I think what we need to look at is if our underlying structure and leadership and the way that we run and culture is adding to that stress uh, or helping to, to ameliorate it. I also think that there are things that we can do around the billable hour that I think could be helpful. Um, so for example, um, I, I think, and, and it's not true everywhere, and I, th- I think certain firms do this better than others, but I think sometimes I think lawyers feel, you know, we, when, when, when you think about promotion and pay and how folks are evaluated, I think it often comes down to just like two numbers, right? Uh, right, billable hours and book of business. Um, and I think that the truth of the matter is when you look at people who uh, are leaders in firms and, and actually improve the, the, the environment, improve the culture, improve the folks around them, I think there are other things that are important to measure when we're evaluating people. And I think, you know, if we honor those other things, I think it's actually better for the business in the end. There might be someone with a, you know, a smaller book of business who, who's, who does, you know, incredible mentoring and is a multiplier effect on business. There may be someone with a huge book of business who's impossible to work with and leads to attrition that in the long run is a loss. So so I think getting getting beyond, I, I think, I don't want to fool ourselves into thinking people have been talking about the billable hours for many, many years. And, and you know, that is going to, I think, remain central in many ways, although I know f- you know, folks are experimenting with other models, but but I think e- even if that's the case, I think there's a lot that can be done uh, to 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 improve culture around that. To paraphrase Mark Twain, the news of the death of the billable hour grossly <laughs> exaggerated. That's my perspective, but I'm, I'm I'm open to others. What are some of the initiatives that you're putting yourself out there? You're talking about your personal experience, which not everyone can do or wants to do for a whole bunch of different reasons. But so what are the things that you're you're telling the people that are listening to you in in terms of trying to affect some change? What are some of the strategies or the mechanisms that you think should be looked at from firms? Yeah, so there um I, I like to think of it on a couple different levels. So first of all, there's 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 a broader conversation about mental health and well-being. Uh, that there's more of now than there was before. And some of that is generational. Um, you know, the generations below mine and yours, um, I think are much more facile in terms of being aware of these issues, valuing uh, these issues and pushing for change. Uh, and I think that's important. So I, so I think, you know, one, one level is the individual level, like, you know, if there are tips or techniques and things that, that we can all do in this modern hyper-connected, you know, hybrid work, stressful world, you know, there's, there's certain, certainly individual techniques and, and, and things that we can do. And, and I can talk about some of those. And I think, you know, so for me, I used to be um, extremely kind of reluctant to try things like mindfulness. I thought that was sort of foo-foo, you know, for someone else. Um, you know, I was a multitasker and that wasn't me, right? But 
but I think I've, I've learned quite a lot about that over the past decade, slowly. Um, so, so those types of individual individual techniques, you know, things like certain practices are very, very helpful for me. Um, you know, gratitude. Like I have a practice of like a one, one, one at the end of a day. I have a small group. Um, it's a WhatsApp group where I send you know one thing that I'm happy about, one thing I'm worried about. Um, and one thing I'm grateful for. Um, and, and and there is, you know, interesting sort of science. And I think a lot of times we have so many things in mind um, that we keep in our brains. So like writing down a couple of things at the end of the day, like these are the things I accomplished rather than just having a list of these unfinished things that are going to roll into stress for the next day. So, so there's a lot of different individual things that, that, that you can do. But but I think my my focus is really, I think if we're only focusing on the individual, you know, we're, we're, we're missing the boat because I think a lot of this is cultural. So if you're doing yoga and doing gratitude practice and you come into an environment that's toxic or, or incredibly stressful and someone's yelling at you and, and you know, and, and you've got something going on in your life and nobody's aware of it and you've got too many things to do and no support, the, the individual techniques aren't going to be very effective, right? So, so I think a, a big part of this is, is cultural. Um, and I think a big part, and I think I also frankly come from a place where for many years I thought like, ah, oh, culture, we like to talk about culture, you know, but what really is that? Is it really important? It's this fuzzy thing. But I think really, you know, culture, I think is, is really critically important <laughs> to quality of work, um, and doing good work and doing good work sustainably and keeping people. Um, and so, and that comes from from leaders, and and it, and this is not um, you know do this one thing, but it's do I am I in a place where I feel comfortable saying hey I need support and where that support is going to be given to me, um, and that comes from from leaders. If I if I'm in a in a place where nobody ever talks about, and I've been in some of these places right nobody ever talks about these issues you just grind it out all the time. Um, then if I've got something going on, it doesn't have to be, you know, clinical depression it can be like, you know, like right now, my, my, my dad has cancer, right? He's going, he got diagnosed, he's going through that when, when, as that, you know, there's some days where I have to, I want to go with him to his treatment, right? And, and everyone's got something like that, that they're navigating. Um, and so I think it's really important, you know, I think about the term human centric leader, um, which is another one of these sort of consulting terms that I also really connect with. Um, because I think it's on leaders and, you know, by by being vulnerable, by, 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 by sort of recognizing like, hey, we understand everyone's navigating stuff. We're a firm. And I think one of the beauties of working, you know, at a collective place is we can pick up the slack for each other. Um, you know, law firms are actually built for that. I think we just need to do a little bit of, you know, planning and how we structure teams to make sure that there's some slack there. Um, but also just to make sure that there's a culture where someone could say, hey, um, I have this thing. I'm going to need someone else to do this. Um, and finding someone in there, you know, without fear of this is going to impact poorly on me. And, you know, and I think that comes from leadership. There's so many things that you've just said that, you know, I'm sure resonate with a lot of people, certainly with me. Culture change takes time and it takes a dedicated effort. Are we seeing some progress or are we unfortunately, in some cases, just paying lip service to this human centric approach to managing people and managing careers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. My my fiance says that there, there are two different conversations, right? There's 
the conversation about the problem and then there's conversations about the solution to the problem and and if we're just having that first conversation like that's good it's good that we're raising awareness and we're talking about it um but there has to be a point where you get to solutions um so yes it's true um you know culture change and institutional change is low um i think there are and 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 i think if you look at the statistics, you know, the American lawyer does a survey um, every year. Um, of, uh, it's a, a pretty broad mental health and well-being survey. It tends to be clustered and focused around large firms. That's, that's who they get a lot of the responses for from. And they get a lot of responses from, from younger attorneys. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, the 2023 survey came out a couple months ago, or, or you know, I think it was two months ago. And, you know, everyone realizes there's this increased conversation um, around this topic uh, in the law and outside of it. Um, and, and, you know, some of it was, you know, the pandemic kind of all going through that and, and working from home. And, you know, now we're trying to navigate this hybrid work situation. And I think some firms, you know, you see some titles to articles in publications and in, in the legal media uh, where law firms feel like they made a lot of accommodations and, well, can we just get back to normal? You know, that was peak empathy, but now we're just getting back to business. Um, and so that those titles scare me a little bit, right? Those those yeah. article titles, um, because the results from the 2023 survey actually showed um, like a, the, the numbers ticked up slightly, uh, like in the wrong direction slightly. And I think a lot of people were really disheartened to see that, right? Because how is this possible, right? We're all talking and law firms, some big law firms now have, you know, well-being directors uh, and we, you know, we have increased awareness. Um, but I think, I think a couple of things are happening. Um, I think one, like you said, change is slow. Two, I think there's there's more awareness and more willingness, I think, to speak out about it. And maybe that leads to numbers looking like they're going up a little bit. But I think, you know, I think I think the other the other issue is we're we're still in this, it's still a difficult time, um, you know, where we are in in history and time. Uh, you know, we're trying with you know with hybrid work and being in the work and and the tension between you know law firms that say, you know, we want to get back to business and recognizing that integrating this approach into business is kind of the way forward. And I think that's slow. I think the, the, I'm optimistic about a couple things. One is that next generation, like I mentioned. Um, I think that's a powerful driver because that's that's the talent, right? That's yeah. uh, and and I think when I speak to when I go to law schools and talk to law students about this, this is leadership development stuff. This is professional development stuff. This is not like go to the mental health session and check the box that I learned about this today. It's if you want to lead an organization, organizations are made up of people and you have to be able to navigate these issues. And and by the way, you have a lot more power than you think you have to lead on this issue um, because if firms are going to want to recruit and retain the best talent, um, that generation has a lot of power. So that's one thing I'm optimistic about change-wise. The second thing is some of the initiatives that I'm seeing coming from clients, which we can talk about. So before we get into the clients, you hit at the theme of the pandemic and how that in many ways has been a catalyst for a lot of these conversations. I think you know the conversations pre-pandemic were starting. I think they were rising up on the radar. But the pandemic certainly accelerated those conversations. 
um, you know, isolating everyone in their in their homes for a period of time, just raised, you know, exacerbated some issues that had potentially been dormant before then. We're going back to the situation where we're, you know, people are saying we're leadership at firms, potentially you're saying, let's get back to normal. There can be no normal as it was before the pandemic. The world has fundamentally changed in between those two. And so is there is there an issue with using the word let's go back to normal? And is that a generational problem? Is that the leadership that's in place in the firms now that is going to retire in the next you know, three, four, 10 years, are they driving that? And are we seeing more awareness, more flexibility from the younger generations? Yeah, I think I think one thing that, that you see when you look at the, at the at these statistics too is that at any point in time when you look at statistics on mental health and well-being in the legal profession, whether before the pandemic, during the pandemic, or after the pandemic, the old normal was not good, you know, or or sustainable. Um, and so, and I also agree that the world has has changed fundamentally. Now, you know, as as to whether this is, I don't I don't want to paint with too broad a brush of, you know, this is just sort of an old school versus new school thinking because I think a lot of a lot of folks that I talk to. Um, in leadership, do understand this as a as an important business issue, and, and are and are making changes. But I think you know you always get some some pushback. In in every conversation, there's always one or two people who you know you know who who are saying, well, in my day, you know, we did it this way, and and who, or who see these initiatives as kind of you know lazier or not working as hard uh when we're talking about kind of working you know smarter and you know in a way that's kind of more more equipped for a modern age so i think you're always going to have some generational pushback but but i think um I, I think that there are leaders in firms that i've spoken to who understand and value this issue um and 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 are working at it and it, it is it is a hard issue to you know there's a lot of balancing that's going on i, I think that change is coming, but it's coming slow. You mentioned clients and how, in some cases, they might be impacting the issues that we're talking about today. How How is that happening? Yeah, a couple, couple different ways. So on, on, the, uh, on the positive, I think it's not overly cynical, but, you know, I've been a lawyer for 20 plus years. I mean, when, when you look at what makes law firms change, you know, clients, uh, you know, demanding change is, is very high on the list, right? And so so I've, there are a couple of initiatives, you know, one out of the United Kingdom called the Mindful Business Charter, which is a pledge that companies um, can sign up for to communicate in certain ways, have certain rules of the road. Um, and, and that pledge and that initiative originated from the client side. Um, I think Lloyd's of London, some other big banks coming to the recognition, um, you know, from the client side about this business case that like, hey, when when we send an email, you know, on a Friday night and it sends because we're big and important, right, sends 20 people scrambling uh, and everyone's, you know, working constantly. Um, first of all, mistakes are made um, in that state. Um, secondly, it doesn't always have to be that way. Third, you know, the people that we like, you know, burn out and leave. And maybe in the long run, we can do this better and our and it'll serve us better. So so that was interesting to me. And then, you know, on the U.S. side, there's a um, bank in the Midwest called U.S. Bank, whose general counsel, Ben Carpenter, uh, was was really uh, pushing um, basically 
a similar kind of initiative to be on their council list. You know, you had to uh, address, you know, mental health. And some of this is communication, you know, mm-hmm. and triage, right? Not everything is a, is a five alarm fire, right? And not everything has to be done, you know, yesterday. Um, of course, you know, sometimes it does, right? There are deadlines, we get that. But the constancy of it, you know, you can, you can deal with that through better communication and making sure we both understand each side's expectations. Um, so, so that, so those two initiatives to me are exciting because I think those show a potential of sort of the clients even understanding the business case for it, that it serves them better. And I think, you know, we saw some, some movement like this in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? When clients got together and said, Hey, um, for the RFP to work with my firm, we're interested in these issues. I, I think uh, you could do see a similar initiative and really kind of scale change that way. One of the themes that you keep coming back to is is the theme of leadership. Some would argue that lawyers are not the best leaders because of the training we receive, because of the frame of mind that we have. It's not built for that. So how do you attract and retain a talented team and grow together in a law firm? I mean, what is there a, a number of ingredients or a secret sauce that, that can be applied? Yeah, and that's a great, it's a great question. I think when I think about it, and I'll, I'll answer it kind of in, indirectly, because I mean, that's, right, that's, that's, that's the ultimate question. Like, how do we, how do we do this well? And I think, you know, I, I think people have to, I think you do it by, by, by giving people interesting work, by, by making it, you know, a, a good atmosphere to work together, by making it collaborative, by helping, you know, within a team to alleviate the stressors that come rather than exacerbating them. Um, but I think the, the other point that, that you hit on is, is I think we, we need better training. I think some of this can start in, in law school. Um, I, don't, I don't think lawyers are just magically by dint of being lawyers, you know, poor managers. Um, but when I think about my education and, you know, the, the way career progressions happen, you know, what was emphasized? Did I ever learn management? No. Um, you know, did I ever look at, you know, accounts receivable until I became a partner and had to have, you know, manage that, you know, no. And so, so I think, I think we can be doing stuff in, in law school and, and I think also at, at firms, um, that as people become more senior, um, and become, you know, leaders, you know, we're leaders not only because we, you know, we can, you know, run a case or supervise, uh, you know, a patent application, um, but the recognition that that you know we're, we're leading people. I think I think building around that is really important. You know, both at the law school level um, and and within within our organizations. And I think you've hit on the nail. Part of the answer to the next question, which is that one of the stress points for senior lawyers come from training and managing staff. Again, it's not something that's taught in law school. It's certainly not something that you're exposed to when you start off your career. Any thoughts on how to cope with this kind of stress? You mentioned training. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, you know, training is one thing. I think, I think another, I think with staff in particular, um, I think I've observed that sometimes a real disconnect in, in law firm culture um, between attorneys and staff. And, you know, staff is so 
it's so fundamentally important to getting things done. Um, I think about, you know, the paralegals in my cases and, you know, when we meet as a team, you know, are they included or excluded? Um, are we listening to them? You know, you know I think we, we, we think about, you know, we have associate town hall meetings, you know, but how often are we getting together with staff and saying, like, what are the pain points? What do you need more training on? How can, how can this be better? Um, I think just paying more attention to that as, a, as sort of a cog in the business. There's something about the culture that's like there's lawyers and there's other people. Um, and I think I think some of that stress um, and difficulty comes from that. I think you've hit a really interesting point, and and that is inclusivity, not from a not from a DEI perspective, but from a from an organizational perspective. Your staff, your paralegals, your assistants, your clerks, they do a job, and sometimes the processes that are that are set up are not the most efficient, or the they don't respond to an actual business need. They might have 10, 15 years ago, but they need to evolve. And the ability of leadership to to sit down and listen and to say, okay, here's how we can improve this. I think that probably goes a long way. And it and it gives people purpose, right? Because they're they're listened to and they're and they they feel valued members of the team. Yeah, I think that's really important. Is there anything in particular that you you think you need to or you'd want to communicate to to our listeners is there you know apart from the the talking apart from the raising awareness is there something that should be done more immediately that everyone should be focused on right now yeah i mean i think a big part of this is you know i, I talked about culture but really creating a space where we care for each other um and, and look I, and i get it it's a delicate thing Right. Not everyone always wants to talk about what's going on with them or delve deep into, you know, some some situation. But but there's I think for me, for for a long time, for <laughs> I would say for for my entire life until the, the first time I, I suffered from acute depression, which was when I was 35 years old, I never thought about this topic. I never talked about this topic. And it sounds kind of funny today because it's so out there. But literally, you know, but when it happened, it hit me so hard. I had no idea what was happening. I felt like the only thing I could do was was be alone with it and say, oh my God, this thing is happening to me. And what is going on? Right. And to hide it. And I think I, I think I've learned, you know, one thing is to be a little bit more self-aware of myself to, you know, be able to sort of take our own temperature. Because, because, and, and every day, you know, some, sometimes there are things happening in your life that, where you show up and of course you're carrying that with you because it's stressful and difficult. Um, so I think, I think taking our own temperature and saying like, hey, here's when I need a break or here's when I need to actually say, hey, can I have some support? I think is kind of the first step um, because I think once we can do that, you know, for ourselves, and, it, and, and it's taken a little doing to get myself to that point, to, to slow yourself down enough and actually think about, like, how am I feeling? Am I navigating through this stuff okay? Um, you know, are there problems that I'm, you know, creating by not communicating or procrastinating or hold, holding something in? I think once once we do that, we can kind of do that, you know, for the other people around us and kind of create that atmosphere. So I think to me that that's really important, those two pieces. It's interesting because... You know, going back to the compensation models and the things that are evaluated in firms, what gets measured gets evaluated and or compensated. And if you're focusing your measurement on pure numbers, then there's a disconnect between that and whatever culture you might 
want to be promoting internally at a firm. There's a fundamental disconnect there. And so perhaps we need to, to move to some other models or to take into consideration other factors when we're when we're evaluating performance. You know? Yeah, I think it's a really I think it's a really important thing for leadership to be reflect, reflective about. Like you said, what you know what what you measure uh, turns out to be you know what you create as kind of the value. Um, and so so yeah, I, I do think it is really important um, in in the long view. Um, that we're measuring things beyond, you know, the two numbers that I mentioned earlier, um, because those things contribute to, you know, to to, to the work that's being done um, in, in legitimate, serious, you know, business ways. And and I know sometimes those are harder to measure, and it takes a little bit more doing. But I think, you know, I've seen like you can you can build in processes that say, you know, here's how we're evaluating. I've seen it start to happen um, to move beyond that, and I think that's that's really important. One of the things we talked about when we were preparing this is that that one slide that was apparently circulated by yes. one of the, the big firms. I think that's an interesting topic to raise with this conversation. Yeah. So that was um, Paul Hastings. Uh, there was an associate uh, there who gave a presentation for other associates on, you know, this is how to this is how to do it. This is how to be successful here. And, you know, it was like a top 10 list. That included things like, you know, never ask questions, always Google it first, you know, you're billing at $800 an hour, act like it, um, always beyond 24-7. And it's interesting, you know, that the, the reaction to that, you know, a lot of people said, wow, this is this is really off, you know, and, and there was there was not it was not a hundred percent bad advice, but there was enough on there that was eyebrow raising that that it was troubling, right? And you know, but some people some, and I think this goes to the difficulty of the topic, right? Some people said, "Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm buying when I hire the big law firm." Um, and so you you do still have those two reactions. I think that's what makes it a difficult topic. But but clearly, things like being on twenty four seven, you're not getting you're not getting no matter how you look at it. You're not getting the highest quality of anything uh, when, when when people are not sleeping and and working, you know, that level. You get mistakes being made. You don't get creative problem solving, you know, and in the end, that's what we are as lawyers. Right. We're creative problem solvers. Uh, you know, some people, you know, see lawyers more as like mercenaries or soldiers, but we're creative problem solvers. Um, and there's very good science that, you know, if we're going to be creative problem solvers, you know, we need to do things like take breaks and get support and get off screens and have spaces, you know, so the brain can actually work. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's slide. you know, when, when things like that go viral, it's a bit of a flashpoint. Um, but I think, I think they're all kind of teaching and learning moments too. Yeah. Whether or not that was like the, the reality of the firm is something we'll never know, but, um, yeah. but, but you're right. I think it's a teaching moment and it's, it's, you know, opportunity tease like that that can spur conversations and uh you know of course people are going to say no nah, it doesn't happen in my firm but beyond that knee-jerk reaction you can like start engaging a dialogue and saying well you know maybe you should look at this point and maybe we can talk about this point so i think those those are really important listen this has been a super interesting conversation thank you very much for participating this morning you're obviously presence on the web on LinkedIn, uh, you're on Instagram. I don't know if you post or you just follow, but you know, I think it's people can reach out to you and and uh, have conversations if they if they need to be. But I think the work that you're doing certainly helps 
keep the conversations going. And I think that would be personally, I think if if we if those conversations stop, I think that would be tragic. We we can't go back to the to the normal that it was before the pandemic. I really do think that we need to move beyond that and find a different way of making sure that as businesses, law firms, or whatever business is sustainable, sustainability is super important. We also address DEI issues, but we also address a lot of the mental health and the environment that allows people to grow and thrive and benefit the firms. Thank you very much for, for having this conversation. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for folks out there listening and asking questions. I appreciate you all. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time at the next Focus 45 episode. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.